From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. I'm distracted by my cat looking at me, and she's very cute. Um, <laughs> this week, we are talking some hidden gems from Nightstream Festival, an erotic dark comedy thriller, incredible, uh, a spoilery midnight mass chat, mm. and a funny, sad aquatic horror film that only Bong Joon-ho could create. I really do love the absolute range of the things we watch on a weekly basis. Every time I read these, I'm always like, <laughs> the variety is incredible. The variety like, is We are incredible. nothing if not diverse in our choices. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, before we do talk about it, you know, I was just thinking this week about how, how wild it is this week, that this week itself, we get Checking TV series, which I don't know if you've been watching. I watched the first episode. Decent. Enjoying. We get Slumber Party Massacre remake. We get a Halloween remake. We're getting... Uh, I know what you did last summer TV series, and we just had a trailer for Scream. I, I mean, wild. It's a good time to be a horror fan. Wild, especially for old properties getting redone. Yeah. Oh, what did you think of the Scream trailer? Did you watch I it? I did. Uh, okay. I. It is not 
amping me up, which I actually appreciate because I, what I'm afraid is going to happen is there's so much, there's so much anticipation for this movie that no matter how good it is, it's going to fail expectations. And so I feel like personally that this more kind of low key trailer sort of undercuts those expectations a little bit. I, I, it looks good. Some of it really got me excited, like Sydney saying, I'm Sydney Prescott, of course I have a gun. You like that kind of stuff I'm here for. I don't know. What did you think? Stop it. Stop it. Sorry. I'm so sorry. She just had to pull the tea bag out of my mug. <laughs> Asshole. I got really okay, I got I was a little bit annoyed at the first half, which is like the recreation, like the the like the the, Drew the usual cold op like cold open Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just like we seen we we know we seen to it. I don't know. I don't know why. I, I guess maybe I'm jaded. That sounds terrible, but I was just like I want to see like something else. But maybe that was the point. They're like kind of un, like you said understating it. But I was like, is I hope this is not the whole movie. It's just like scenes from the OG recreated in like a 21st like in a 2021 context. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying I'm I'm like trying to tamp down my expectations cuz I don't want it to That's also what I'm doing cuz I am really excited and like I did get super fucking hype when like everyone's on screen like all obviously all the old characters but like the new cast looks rad like mm-hmm. there's a queer there's a queer person in the cast mm-hmm. and like Jack Quaid is in it and I'm obsessed with him. He's mm-hmm. in The Boys and he's incredible. And he was in so like girls I love him. Oh, that's right. He was. Um so I'm like super excited and like you see Stu's house a bunch, and like, what if it's what if Stu came, comes back? That's my favorite theory, and I want it to be true. Mostly because I love Matthew Lillard. I, mean, I think that's like the main reason. <laughs> Who doesn't? He brings a, a certain kind of energy to everything, and I would, I definitely would love to see him back. I just, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm. We'll see. I know. I'm. I, I'm like you. I'm trying not to get too hype because I'm scared. Well, it also comes out <laughs> on my birthday. So that's like my birthday. <gasps> that's my birthday celebration birthday is going to see to that. So I'm like, oh my god, I'm trying oh to like, god, make her break your birthday. <laughs> hey, it'll be great. No matter, you're gonna see a scream movie in a theater on your birthday. Like that's a pretty cool prospect, regardless. I, yeah, absolutely. And I've never seen a scream movie in a movie theater. Oh really? We're, so this will be cool. I saw. I've seen the, the last two, uh, three and four. I didn't. I I was. I mean, I've said this before. I don't. I think on this podcast when we talk about Scream, I wasn't. I was out of being a horror fan when Scream came out and Scream Two came out. So I saw those both on VHS. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm excited. I wasn't like into Scream. I think when they were in theaters, like the three and four. Have you seen three and four? What years were they? No. We need to remedy that before the fifth one. Oh God. Mm. Duh. <laughs> Uh, Scream Three was like what two two thousand? Yeah, and I was, yeah, was I was young too when it came when those came out. Oh yeah, so I was only seven. And Scream Four came out the weekend that I came out, so that was uh, April of twenty eleven. Give me fifteen hundred words on that right now. <laughs> I done did do that. <laughs> that's that's out on my side. I want more fifteen hundred more <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'll pay you. <laughs> I want to hear about because I didn't. I am. I am. I am burnt out. I am le burnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did not sign up for yes. night stream, but I am 
really curious about some of these gems. Yeah, so I I was not going to do Nightstream and last minute decided to because I haven't done really any festivals since I started my job, like right when festival season started. And I was like, I, I have no time right. to do anything. So now I'm finally getting some more time to watch things, like screeners like this. So the two that I watched that I've enjoyed quite a bit, but like aren't super horror-y, but are really good. Um, there's one called Landlocked, which is in the the vein of found footage, but not exactly. It's about a guy who basically goes back home. His how his childhood home is about to be demolished, and so he's going back to pick up anything that he wants in the house. His father passed away, I think, a year ago, and so he's going home to kind of collect his things. And while he's there, he discovers this video camera, mm. and there's no tape inside of it. But when he puts it up to his endless viewfinder, he can see the past. Oh. And the past is represented by actual family um, home movies of the director. So the director's brother is the main character, and then like his father and bro- like their whole family's in it. And so when he's looking through the viewfinder and kind of looking back to the past, it's their home movies of their family. So it's got like a Seder, kind of a Seder vibe. Yeah. It's got Seder vibes to it because it's like not found footage, but a little bit found footage. And it kind of plays with that in a really interesting way. It's um, it's pretty, it's it's slow, Mm -hmm. but it's got a couple moments where I'm like, what the fuck? So it's really, really cool with what it does. And I really enjoyed it. Um, very like indie DIY filmmaking, but mm. I really was quite impressed with it. Okay. And it's got like a really cool premise. It's like a sci. It got like kind of a sci-fi kind of t- like vibe to it. So that was really incredible. And then the other one that I just watched like today uh, is called The Greenhouse. It's a queer Australian. Did you see it? No, I wanted to. I didn't know it was queer. The Australian one where she goes into the greenhouse and they can travel back in time to see her her mom. That is not the one that I was thinking of. There's another movie called Greenhouse, I think, that's out wild. No, I did not know about this one. Tell me more. Oh, so this, the greenhouse, is about a woman who wakes up one night and finds that she can walk through their family, like through the family greenhouse, and she can travel back in time. Oh. Her mom's, she has two moms. Her mom's um, are lesbians. And one of her moms passed away from cancer. And so the family is grieving. And so she uses this, like, go back and see her mom. But also there's a lot of stuff in there about, like, family resentment and being scared to come out Mm. and internalized homophobia. And it's really sad. But it's really good. Um, Again, not, like, super horror-y, but it's a more quiet sci-fi vibe. Because it's like, it feels just like a family drama, but she can travel back in time okay. um, and to the past. So, and it's it's very gay and it's very well done, but it just makes you cry a whole shit ton because it's about like a dying parent and grief, but also like realizing that you were very closeted and like broke someone's heart. And then also like you and like your own like issues with mental health and inability to like in, like look in inward at yourself, and it's just very sad, but it's very well done. It sounds really good. So, uh, correction, I was thinking of Glass House. Ah, yes, this is not that. <laughs> no. Um. So those like the two. It's like the two I've watched and I've watched are like very quiet indie, mm-hmm. not really scary, but they're just beautifully like beautifully done, kind of cool conceptual movies, which I like. I feel like that Nightstream has a lot of that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So I have a couple more things I have to watch. Um, Bloody Oranges. Oh. Which I've heard good things about. 
uh, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. things about Bloody Oranges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have I. So I'm interested. But I also have Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Oh, that's and then, adorable. I know. I'm excited to watch it. And then um, it's called uh, Cosmic Dawn. It's about an alien, a UFO cult. So. Ooh. So some cool stuff. Um, but I want to hear about this erotic, hmm. dark comedy thriller thing. So the movie that I saw this weekend, I was trying not to watch a lot of uh, work-related stuff this weekend. But, you know, I can't not spend a weekend watching some kind of horror movie that I'm going to review. And this one is called The Estate. And it opens up with Eliza Coop. You know her? From um, Happy Endings. Uh, she was in Future Man. Sure. Looking her up. Continue. Uh, so she is like a comedic actress and she, it opens up with her saying, I need a guy to come on my face. And before telling her, uh, this, this gay guy that's before telling, um, this, this, uh, gay guy, get dressed. We're going dumpster diving for dick. And it turns out... Um, it fucking excuse me. I saw your tweet about this, and I'm so excited to know more about it. So it turns out that she, Eliza Coop, is the gay guy, uh, George, played by Chris Baker. She is his stepmom. They are <laughs> about the same age. Uh, his father in, and her husband is this billionaire, Jagoff, played by Eric Roberts, who's not in the picture. He's like traveling the world and philandering on the side and they both hate him and so they go out clubbing and going to find the dick Dick. and they discover it in the form of this guy who goes by the name of joe who is like he's hot in like a very boyish sort of way but he has like muscles and he he seems to be interested in both of them uh, she takes him home and they have sex. And then the next day they're talking about the father and they decide that, gosh, he is so horrible and he's leaving them destitute as they live in this gorgeous mansion that they apparently can't pay for because he's not giving them money. And of course, heaven forbid they go work. Uh, so they decide they need to kill him. And Joe apparently is a hitman and offers to kill him for them. And then it starts to go from there and turns into the psychosexual love tryst between the stepmom, <laughs> George, and Joe. And it is, it's gay. That sounds absolutely fucking incredible and gay and bisexual and great. Oh, yeah. The bisexual is off the charts. It's, uh, it's very funny. It was written by the Chris Baker, the, the guy that plays uh, the Georgie, the gay, the gay son. And... There's some twists. I saw some of it coming. Some of it didn't surprise me, but I had a a lot of fun the entire way through. I wish it was a little bit more on the erotic side because I feel like I feel like we're, we're due for more erotic movies to come out. Like I I want to I want to see some more eroticism than just you know a sex scene. Like I need I need more. Give me more. And this this movie is definitely airing more on the comedic side than the thriller side, but. I had a great time with it. It surprised me at how much I had, how much fun I had with this one. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And uh, is it, what is it coming out? It is coming out on the 22nd. So not this Friday, okay. but not when this episode drops, but the following Friday, it'll be out. Um, I believe on BOD. 
So I would recommend giving it a check cool. if you like the sort of like erotic thriller with the, like a tinge of dark comedy. More, I guess, more on the dark comedy side, but it's it's funny. Uh, it has Eliza Coop saying dumpster diving for dick, and that's that's all I really need in life. That sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just like that. <laughs> dumpster diving for dick is just an incredible phrase. It's going to be playing on my head on repeat for a while. It's been stuck in my so, head since I saw anyway. it Friday. <laughs> yep. Just the implications of that, if you think about it too hard, it's just I should. Ugh. Anyway, anyhow. Midnight Mass. <laughs> yes. So uh, I, you know, after we you talked about it last week, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to just sit down and watch this. And I had a four, three and a half day weekend, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch Midnight Mass, and I did. And was I wrong about you? Did you actually like it? I did. I did like it a <gasps> whole lot. Hooray! I love being wrong. It was well, okay. It made me it made me think about some things, but first I want to say that okay. listeners, we're going to be spoiling this this movie because I want to or this t- movie this TV show because I want to kind of dig into it. So we'll put time codes in the episode if you haven't watched yeah. it because there's a couple of particular things that I I want to talk about. And I'm pretty sure you want to talk about too. So yes, yeah. So we'll put that in the notes to from when when you skip ahead to to make sure you don't hear any spoilers. Okay, so you're still with us. Great. So when I first started watching this, (laughs) the thought crossed my mind. I was sitting here and I was thinking, boy, this initial setup, and this was in the very first episode, I was like, I really want to see Mike Flanagan adapt Jerusalem's Lot. That was the thought in my head in like the first 20 minutes of that opening episode. And you didn't even know yet. And then all of a sudden the, the, the father comes in with, this giant box and he pounds on it and the box pounds back and it's like is this a vampire show is this what i'm asking for are we getting like a jerusalem's lot-esque type story and yes the answer is yes the answer is yes. yes and i was here for it when i when i realized that it was vampires and that they were taking this idea of like the angel, which I know, like, I was immediately, as I was watching that, I was like, ooh, I bet Mary Beth is digging in this, because I know you love, like, weird representations of angel-type things. And even though I don't think this this particular thing isn't angel necessarily, the idea behind it, I was like, ooh, I'm liking this. I'm liking the fact that they are corrupting uh, Bible passages in order to fit this narrative, as opposed to being like, uh, this is a horrific thing. No, we're going to somehow make this horrific thing part of our religion and embrace it i was like "Ooh, this is a fascinating subject to be digging into i was aghast at how much i i really kind of dug this one yay oh i'm glad to hear it that makes me very happy i also got well because of course i did 30 days 30 days of night vibes a lot of it too Mm -hmm. like obviously very much so and that was wild but um oh and the 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 thing that made me cry the thing that made me cry was kate siegel talking about when her daughter died Mm. um at she had the the, the miscarriage mm-hmm. sister-in-law experience one last year and like i said like it was similarly traumatic so i was just like uh-uh there we go here we go yeah. rev up those fryers captain like <laughs> it's just not having a good time um but yeah besides that it's incredible like i when i realized it was a vampire show i was like it's the best day of my life yeah it's fucking incredible yeah it's fucking incredible yes and i was i was sitting there thinking 
thank you, Internet, for actually not spoiling this 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 series for me. Right? Because I I was surprised I, how <laughs> little people talked about it. I know. Considering like you can't like if, if you were watching any of those Disney Plus shows, the moment that it hits airing, you just gotta like turn off your Twitter because people just start spoiling yeah. like it, we've come into a culture where like and I some of it I don't really it doesn't really bother me, but I do think that the unbidden talk about spoilers so quick before other people can actually have a chance to watch it is has gotten to be like a fever pitch on Twitter and it's weird and I I don't like it. It's very strange. But yeah, I was I was surprised that not not many not more people were very much like yelling about what the show was about. Which is nice to see, I guess. Yeah. I don't know why. Just two weeks. Yeah. It's been two weeks since since it came out and I still had like I said last week when we were when you had brought up this the, the show, I, I I knew nothing about it other than it had like a a hot priest in it. He's so good though. He's really good. He's the cast That's is incredible. is really good. I loved him. I loved what, who is Hamish Hamish Link Linklater. Linklater? Yeah, Hamish Linklater. 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 Yeah, loved him. Um, I I will say I was a little bothered in the beginning um, that we had like two older women that were. <laughs> I felt like they were like a cast of like a high school play wearing like old people's clothing and wigs. I was like, why? And then later on, I realized why, you know, why they were doing it. But I still was like, eh, could have been better. It didn't look good. Could have done that one better. I love Alex no. Esso and Kristen Lemon was great, but like they didn't do them any justice in terms of like making them look real. No, 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 no. Did you see? Do you know what I? Did you see what I meant though about like the pacing sometimes with the monologues? Oh, girl, and the horror. Did you get? Did you? Okay. Too much. Yeah. yeah. Too much. A lot. A lot of a lot of talking about faith. Too much. Which, like I get, but at the same time, I was like, Mike Flanagan just gave like an entire generation's worth of like theater kids monologues to use I, for their own. I literally, I literally said <laughs> like, this. Bitch, as I was where watching. were you when I was in theater? School? I know. Like the amount of times I had to like audition with a monologue, and I because like I I audition I auditioned with like a a, mon- a couple monologues from from Magnolia back in like 1999. Um, I actually did a scene for college of me and in this and uh, my, with my female partner doing like. Uh, a scene from from magnolia because i had that script i'm like this is going to fuel so many monologues and audition pieces. it's gonna be like a new it's gonna fuel so many audition pieces and you know what thank you my plan again thank you for making life easier for us because looking for monologues sucks shit. oh it does it absolutely does I, hate I hated that part of it yeah nope but yeah, so like I, I and like it, they're beautifully written mm-hmm. monologues. Like there's no denying that they are beautifully written, like very poignant things. It's just again, I wanted more vampires. I wanted more vampires <laughs> I, too. I just wanted more vampires. Although, like I just yeah, I will say that that the 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 baptism, the like Jonestown via vampires, like was one of the most horrific things I've I've seen in like this year in terms of like. I don't know, just... It's like that scene in Daybreakers at the end when they all start turning into vampires and eating each other. Do you remember that? I have seen Daybreakers. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Well, that, that means nothing to you <laughs> then. Um, never mind. 
You haven't seen 2009 Ethan Hawke classic Daybreakers? What the fuck is wrong with you? I love how I just automatically assumed you would have fucking seen it. Is that from 2009? Yes, it is. I wrote an academic book chapter about that fucking movie. Like, what the fuck? Like one out of like three people when I was doing research, like three other people had written about that movie. <laughs> anyway, regardless, that moment, the, the 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 turning scene, I was like, this is a lot. Like this is horrific. Mm-hmm. It was so horrific. So like the and like the Flanagan knows how to make a fi- like a, a finale, but like last forever in a good way, and I mean that it's not just like a very quick climax. Like he knows how to take like the last half of a season and make it the climax across five episodes, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. Like I don't know how he does it like this, but that man knows how to pace like pace a series, and that's hard because people can really fuck that up, and he knows how to pace a series pretty fucking well. I mean, I talked about pacing in the show itself, but still, I feel like he still hit these beats at the right point. He did. I, so. I could have used I, <laughs> I could have used I could have done without the final um, dying monologue. I'll be honest. I, 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 they are married. <laughs> That's all I'll say. And she's a good actress. Oh, she is. Like, but I was he, just like, he loves he he loves to hear her talk, which is kind of cute. But like, yeah, I was sure. I was a little over it at that point. I was like, no, wrapping this up. That ending though, like he really was like, fuck your feelings. He is the king of fuck your feelings. Like it is the e- the end on the beach, especially with Rahul Kohli's character and his son. Yeah, that one hit me. You know, I hate it, my it's. Life. That fuck it. That hate my life. After I was like, I have, I have to go. Like this is too much for my heart. It's weird though because I wasn't as emotionally invested in this one as I have been his other two series. So I didn't really. Oh, interesting. I didn't. I didn't cry in this one. I didn't really get choked up. Like I know people that like my brother included who surprised me. Just got like he's like the ending really choked me up and I. So I was prepared for it, and I was like... Choke me up. I was, I was like, heaving. <laughs> heaving. That was me watching Bly Manor. I, I don't know. There's just something about this that, like, it kept me at arm's length. And I don't know if it was the, the religious aspect, and it just, you know, it, it's kept me... I don't, I don't know, but it just didn't... I was, I was prepared to be bawling, and I was like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> that was my reaction. Listen, if she is dying, she just isn't <laughs> vocalizing it. It's like when a baby cries and they're crying so hard, you can't, they don't cry. I'm the opposite. I'm laughing so hard. Interesting. But yeah, I get Yeah. I, I, the ending hit me. And I think what, I think I just really felt, I don't know why I felt so connected. The mom, especially like the parents, mm. for some reason, I was very, the mom too. I love the mom. I don't know why, but I just loved her. This is really bad, but I think part of me was like, yep, that's what you get. This is all that you get. (laughs) I think that was literally like, and I think that's probably why I was really sad about uh, Rahul and and his son. That that hit me. But other than that, I was like, yeah, y'all, y'all got this. Like, this is, this is what happens. (laughs) 
when Bev starts digging in the sand. Oh, that part made me laugh. She, what a great villain. What a great villain. Oh, God. Incredible villain. I, and I think everyone and their mother has compared her to the woman from the mist. Yep. But, like... Giving me that mist. She was on par with... But like, on par with that. But, like, worse. Because you saw her in such a wider context. Well, absolutely. And I think... Like, her evil was just, like, so much... Like, so much more apparent. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't think she, she gave into camp. And I, I really think that that performance in the mist, the, the movie verged onto camp oh and this was so constrained that it just it felt more malicious than that over-the-top performance which i loved i loved that over-the-top performance but this was very much a a grounded like when they were taught when the sheriff and and her are talking in the closet and like all the rat poison is around her Chekhov's rat poison i was like she is going to kill everybody and she does and she does does. so uh (laughs) got it clocked it fucking religious psychopaths jesus christ mm. yeah but yeah well i was so glad you liked it yeah i, I am too testament to Noah flanagan can make someone who doesn't like religious horror like his religious horror yeah well and i started thinking i was like you know it's more i guess like i don't know this is a conversation for another time i think because this, this will go on for a while but I, I do think that it's more like the sort of like gung-ho yay religion of like the exorcist yeah, that's fair vice this which is like kind of the antithesis of that in a way yeah well and it's like it's not even and the thing is like it's not outright critiquing faith no. it's critiquing like the institution of, which i think is so interesting i feel like it's usually so black and white like fuck religion mm-hmm. or like love religion and it doesn't look into the nuance of like everyone has a different relationship with belief mm-hmm. And I love how this does that. Like, while I'm, I don't really have, like, a religious, like, belief. No, I don't either. I love that he was, like, this is what faith can look like for different people. And I think that's important because I lose sight of that all the time. Like, I don't think about that as much as I as I should. So I think there was a, a cool nuance there, especially with, like, Erin Green's character and her relationship to, to religion. And then, obviously, um, Riley's relationship. And everyone else is kind of, like, weird in-betweens, mm-hmm. extremes individual kind of interpretations of what it means to believe in some kind of higher power absolutely yeah uh okay midnight mass so to end our discussion let's double down on the sadness and talk about bong joon ho's the host which i always remember as being a funny movie and then you watch it and you realize how tragic and upsetting and depressing it actually is it's funny for, like, the first part where it's, like, um, Sang Kang Ho's character is, like, kind of an idiot. And you're, like, ha-ha, slapstick. And then the monster shows up and you're, like, psych. Well, he does. Please say psych. He does that. Bong Joon-ho does that so well in his movies. Well, I I, th- I do also think yes. that uh, Korean um, genre pictures do that so well where they can balance different tones, different genres, sometimes in a in yeah. a scene and it can just flip on a dime like dime and I I remember watching Parasite and enjoying it and then it just there's a moment and everything just sort of changes. And that's the way this movie does, but it happens more than once because it goes from this sort of slapstick funny comedy about this sort of, you know, family that is sort of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? They're they're kind of the misfits. They're kind of, you know, silly. And then it changes on the dime and then it changes a couple times throughout and it it's just it's so fascinating the way he can do that he's really really good at 
writing family dynamics. Wait, did we tell everyone what this movie is about? We did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we should probably do that. But so the host is a – the 2000s – it's not Rob Savage's host. It is the host. Nor is it Stephanie Meyer's host. From the host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this is just from IMDb. Careless American military personnel dump chemicals into South Korea's Han River. Several years later, a creature emerges from the tainted waters and sinks its ravenous jaws into local residents. When the creature abducts their daughter, a vendor, played by Song Kun Ho, and his family decide that they are the only ones who can save her. I just want to say, which BT dubs is based on a true event? Yeah, I was going to say, like, this is like quintessential environmental horror. Yeah, in 2000, a Korean mortician working for the U.S. military did report that he was ordered to dump a large amount of formaldehyde down the drain into the Han River, which supplies South Korea with its water and a lot of its agricultural entertainment and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I didn't realize that that was a real event until I started digging into it with this watch. And it's like, it's pretty, this movie is also pretty anti-American. Like, it's an American guy. The guy who gives the order is, um, he's in The Walking Dead. Um, mm-hmm. Or was in The Walking Dead. But he's an American guy, gives the order. And then they also talk about um, Americans coming in using Agent Yellow at the end of the film, which is like a reference to Agent Orange, which we use in the Vietnam War. So there's like a lot of like anti-American sentiment in this movie, which is valid. I, I kind of... I I didn't really necessarily see it as anti-American, but I did see it as anti-kind um, of government slash military presence in South Korea. Yeah. Because, uh, like, all... Yeah, that's fair. I guess, like, yeah. Just because, like, I'm, all we really see are these sort of government operatives in South Korea. And so it's it's not, I don't think necessarily, for me at least, it wasn't saying anything necessarily about America itself, just more about, like, the uh, military presence, the sort of military... Uh, ineptitude of the, the United States military yeah. in occupying parts of South Korea. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently North Korean authorities lauded this movie because of the of that like anti-American sentiment. Mm-hmm. Like apparently people in North Korea love that movie. That's weird. But wow. But it is very much like an environmental horror movie because mm-hmm. this creature is the product of pollution. And the monster is so gross looking. It's very odd. It's very 2006, I will say. The effects are very 2006. Yeah, the CG doesn't, I don't think, hold up incredibly well. Although, I mean, we've seen, I've seen worse today. I, I, I think that. Yeah, that's true. What, what I think saves it, though, is that this monster has character. I yes. love that it, it it's able to, like, flip about with ease like an acrobat and swim like a dolphin but then when it lands it slides it trips it's kind of a big loaf you know it's just it's this kind of oafish behavior that just it gives it this kind of more realistic character than than this sort of omnipresent monster that's sort of like lurking in the shadows and jumping out and biting something this thing is is not elegant at all on its feet and i love that well and i and i love it too because it's not a kaiju it's mm. a like a big monster but it's a little bit more manageable if that makes sense like it's it can hide easier and it re- it, like it's incredible how much it can destroy but it can be a little bit more mobile and it's harder to find and so i kind of like this like in between of like a smaller human-sized monster or like a giant godzilla mm-hmm. i like this kind of in-between monster that's destroy like destroying a city 
it just like feels a little again not realistic feels wrong but it feels a little bit more like imaginable yeah. in my head i guess that like something could potentially be that size like because godzilla size is like that's incredibly <laughs> like outlandish right, right. duh but this maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this could definitely happen it's large enough but, that it's yeah. believable that it could be living in that yeah river. exactly mm-hmm because you don't there's some weird crazy shit living in the in the waters like we've always talked about this with aquatic horror but like we don't know the size of things no. that could like crocodiles gr- keep growing until they die yeah <sighs> <sighs> Spo- spoiler moment i always i'm always surprised i've seen this movie like four or five times and i'm always surprised every single time that the daughter dies i know I was like, what the wait. Fu- every time I'm like, oh, yay, happy ending. Like, like they went through all these trials and tribulations. The amount of trauma that he goes through to save his daughter. This guy goes from like a kind of an idiot who runs a snack stand by on the waterfront on the Han River and kind of like bumbles his way through things and like is a dad, but kind of just seems like a little brother mm-hmm. to her a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Grows up. It's like coming of age is not the right is not the right way to put it, but like you see this father like really mature and grow up throughout the course of this movie for what they have to go through, and because he also like so he's with his father and then his two siblings, um and so they're together and they come together in a shelter because mm-hmm. there's like a, um the monster attacks he like destroys everything it destroys all their homes. And so they, you know, congregate at the shelter, and which in its in and of itself is a commentary on and up to South Korean like <laughs> government and ability oh, for emergency preparedness. Ineptitude. Obviously, ineptitude, which is like a theme in most Korean horror movies. I feel like, but yeah, like they go through stuff with the monster. They go through a lot of like stuff with government officials. It's just a lot of growing up that this guy does, and. I love watching a movie where a grown-up has to grow up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this, of course, is done amazingly here because it's Bong Joon-ho and Sang Kang-ho together. And if you don't remember, guys, Sang, Sang Kang-ho plays um, the father and parasite of the family who is not ass wealthy. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's also reminded me a bit of Parasite in terms of the way it ends and that sort of kind of full circle moment where it's yeah. ending – where you know he he has changed his hair color, he has approached adult life, but it's not it's not everything it's cracked up to be either. Because now he's just continuing the journey that his father did. But he's in a little hut, sullen squid on the side of a frozen lake, with his now adopted son. And it's like it adds this era of air of complete tragedy to. The, the the sort of it's just it's like a stinger of an ending for me and it reminded me of kind of the way that parasite yeah. ended. i think that there's some of the the themes that bong Jun ho would grow on to explore in parasite i think kind of started here incubated here yes wow i don't know i don't know why i didn't think about that but <laughs> yeah i don't know it just like popped out of me as i was watching this like ooh, yeah this yeah. is uh this is like parasite it's like you survived this but like it's like that you survived this trauma keep living your life mm-hmm. you know what i mean nothing is improved <laughs> it's got that vibe of like yeah like nothing's really changed like you went through all of that shit and like you're maybe a little different but it's not really that different and in fact you're you're less than because you've lost your father and you've lost your daughter it's like bleak <laughs> it's so it is so bleak bong joon ho said life is terrible <laughs> bong joon ho said fuck your feelings <laughs> yeah, bong joon ho definitely said fuck your feelings 
but that's okay he can say that he's very good at making me sad yeah he's a very talented director i love him he is he's very talented next little cuts what are we going to talk about on our uh, aquatic horror journey mary beth we are going to talk about beneath mm. the aquatic horror movie directed by the one and only larry fessenden which i've never seen before and i'm very excited i'm so excited to watch this one yeah i've seen some incredible videos of a giant fish-like creature so and i i love larry fessenden i'm excited to see him take on um aquatic horror creature feature mm-hmm. on like a tiny budget mm-hmm. me too but terry what are who are we talking to on monday so we are going to talk with rob jabaz he is the writer slash director of the sadness which is hitting festivals doing a lot of good stuff being very divisive being very horrifying and disturbing and fucked up and it's a it's a wild movie and we're going to talk about why the fly terrified him growing up the jeff goldblum remake of the fly and i really enjoyed this conversation it was kind of a wild conversation in in spots it's yes it's very weird but it's very good i've never seen the fly so and now Mm. i can't stop thinking about the fly so yeah here we are um but listeners you've heard from us but we want to hear from you did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for our next aquatic horror movie? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGeely Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, if you can, send us a review, a rating, and subscribe on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. Please, I thank you. Um, thank you, Eric Parr, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.